Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Thursday, December 21st. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. 2023 will go down as the year that AI really rocked Washington. The White House released its sweeping executive order that directs federal agencies to come up with AI rules. And over on Capitol Hill, talk of AI regulation certainly reached a peak. The Senate especially made a spectacle of the issue, hosting a series of forums with tech experts in order to break down the risks. Now, the question is whether 2024 will be the year of AI action. Democratic Senator Mark Warner has been a central player on tech policy, and I spoke with him back in September about his AI priorities. Warner outlined his ideas for where Congress should start with AI regulation, ideas that will be worth watching for in the new year. But he also said that if Congress wants to actually pass AI regulation, not just talk about it, then his colleagues would be wise to lower their ambition. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, a lot of questions around AI, around cybersecurity, all the issues that I know you're you're dealing with every day. You know, I, I want to start out with kind of uh, this question around artificial intelligence and in the intelligence community. You know, you hear about how China and other adversaries are advancing around AI, and compare that to how U.S. intelligence community is is adopting the technology. I mean, how would you grade kind of where the U.S. stands right now on on artificial intelligence? Well, Stephen, let me step back and, and try to give you a, a fulsome answer here. One, I can't think of a subject where I'm spending more time on right now. But the amount of time I put in versus the amount of knowledge or certainty of my positions <laughs> is dramatically undermined. And again, I think about, and this goes first to the question around China, but not just China. If we think a long, long time ago, like 10 months the whole concept around AI was the winners were going to be who had the most data, who had the most compute power, who has the most ability to test that data. And that was why China, with its enormous tentacles in terms of sweeping up data across all kinds of domains, meant it was going to be a, a, a tremendous threat uh, because of their already Orwellian surveillance state they've created inside their country. The same would apply to the kind of open AI, Microsoft or Anthropic, Google, now maybe with today's announcement, Amazon as well with Anthropic. Right. And they all had scale. Then suddenly that premise of scale being the determinant factor changed as Meta slash Facebook released Llama into the wild. And you suddenly saw in the spring, the UAE, for example, create a large language model for literally pennies on the dollar. And in one of our briefings, and it was not that classified, so I can say the OSTP director indicated the economics had totally changed and what used to be you know, potentially billions of dollars for a price of entry had come down dramatically lower. So China is still a challenge. China is still a threat. I'm not sure they're going to be as much of a threat because they've not even allowed large language models to be released on their domestic market. On the other hand, they do have actually some fairly thoughtful rules of the road about how they're thinking about AI, again, for their domestic Chinese market. The premise of whether 
Uh, I've even had some experts come in and say they don't think large language models will still be at all relevant two to three years from now. And I'm not sure I agree with that, but it is a factor. So I know, for example, and again, to answer your question directly, our American intelligence community back in the days when scale was the defining fact, I think we were thinking about combining all of our pixels that come from overhead, all of our intercepts that come from the NSA, and all of the human intelligence that may come from thumb drives or other information and, and create a, a kind of a master underlying tool. I think that's shifted fairly dramatically in terms of the IC's thoughts around AI that we may end up again with some of the stovepipes. And this is why I'm my own time does not necessarily equal knowledge here. I'm as uh, concerned as I've ever been. I'm not sure I I know what the operating premise for the IC should be at this point. I do still believe China is an enormous challenge, but the kind of existential challenge that I think many of us thought 10 months ago, a little more sanguine about that now. So I just want to follow up then on a couple of questions here, because I think that's an interesting point. So the more the more you dig into it, sort of the less certain maybe you become on some of these positions. So today, compared to 10 months ago, you feel China is maybe less of a threat on AI? Is well, I, that right? I think that China, the potential that there's going to be one default large language model, and that whatever entity, country, company creates that large language model default, um, I don't believe that's going to be the case anymore. Uh, what each of these single application by industry sector, or in the case of China, you know, their ability to use AI to increase their their military capacity you know, in satellites or in their use of, of uh, certain types of their uh, spying ability. Yeah, that's still a huge threat. But the kind of you know, existential thought that there would be one Winner on LLM, I think is, uh, I think I have a very different view now. We'll be right back. Is there anything else? Are there other you know, sort of opinions or concerns that, as you've learned more in the last 10 months, it's, it's we changed? Or I, I think we know the rest of the world is moving towards guardrails. Uh, the, the Europeans are probably the furthest along. Again, as I mentioned, the Chinese have a fairly sophisticated set of rules that they've already iterated on the domestic basis. Um, the UK's got operations going. Japan, for example, has got a very uh, unusual view about copyright. They're, they're not trying to protect copyright. You think about all of the, uh, in, you know, from Japanese comics to Japanese film to Japanese uh, music, they seem to be less concerned about the copyright on the front end and more on the back end, which an issue which we still are obviously grappling with here. I do worry as the Senate tries to think about this on a holistic basis, and I give Sh- Senator Schumer credit for bringing folks together. I've had about a dozen of these sessions with always bipartisan with 12, 15 senators at a time that have been maybe a little deeper. And, and, and where I'm at on, on the regulatory front is – we probably can't solve it all at once, but where are the two most immediate areas where AI could have a, again, almost existential threat what are tomorrow? The, the two that I would argue is one, 
the ability to destroy our faith in our public elections and with presidential elections and national elections coming next year. And everybody in politics gets that. The, if you thought in the past deep fakes could be a tool, you know, or I, and I look back when I, as chair of the intelligence committee to our investigation about Russian interference in 2016, AI tools today could a thousand or a million times more create tools to undermine people's confidence in elections. The other, and I don't think there's been near enough attention on, on this subject, the other enterprise that depends entirely on uh, public trust is faith in our public markets. And I have been amazed. There have been a couple of one-off examples, and there was an example of a AI posting of a fake fire at the Pentagon that caused some disruption at the um, in the markets for, for a few minutes. Uh, but I've had some fascinating briefs on what sophisticated AI tools could do, particularly those public companies, maybe not Fortune 50, but the, you know, Fortune 100 to 500, where you could manipulate not only images of CEOs, but file S false SEC filings or, or generate, you know, AI tools indicating huge amounts of uh, product, uh, false stories about products. And so my sense is because the, there could be such immediate confidence undermining in public markets and public elections, maybe we ought to start there. And I think from just the sausage-making standpoint of where I work, you know, in elections only, security probably won't get through both the House and the Senate. A protect the markets alone might have a better shot, but I think if we could actually get the capitalists and the small D Democrats to work together, that might be the sweet spot to put at least a few guardrails down. And does that mean... And then the next question, obviously, would be, well, what does that look like? And, you know, still working through some ideas on that, but it could be, could it, it could include new laws or regulations, but it could also mean a lower standard of proof to prove harm if it's done by AI generative tools, or it could be a higher penalty basis if you use these tools. And I, the example I sometimes give is that, you know, <clears throat> murder is murder, but if you're a terrorist, creating murder, we have a higher standard. Right. In war, a bullet can kill somebody, but we have a higher, different standard if you use chemical weapons. Not perfect analogies either one, but there are examples where same result, but because society's made a judgment that the the action and the tool is so heinous, we want to put in a different standard. That may be a way to think about this in terms of public markets and public elections. Well, let me ask you a follow-up then, kind of taking that example, right? Do you blame the killer or do you blame the gun manufacturer? Because, Great. Right? This is fundamental to tackle. Great question. And, and let's put it like this. Since Congress, as somebody who's got seven different bipartisan ideas about where we should have put some, some guardrails on social media and our record in social media is a big fat zippo. The fact that we have done nothing is astonishing to me at this point, not only from the you know, election standpoint, but from just the mental health issues. Everybody up here on the Hill acknowledges that the downside or the notion that we're going to simply you know, have the tech guys do the same thing. Well, let us figure it out first and you can figure out the rules later um, is, is, I think a bad proposition, and I'm very sensitive to the uh, the notion that on AI we shouldn't do that. But if we try to overreach, we may come up with goose eggs. And I, uh, to your question, I'm a big believer. I mean that the Section 230 idea that the platforms or the large language model or the 
the bullet manufacturer in your in your um, um, analogy, they shouldn't be completely freed from harm. I mean, is this an opportunity to, if not revisit 230, create a new law that is fit for an AI generation? I think so. And, and even the biggest advocates of Section 230, in my conversations with them up here on the Hill, have said they don't expect Section 230 to be carry over to, to AI. Have you talked to Ron Wyden about this? <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Okay. Um, the the other question I just had on on this idea of addressing financial markets and elections, I mean, two different issues in a way, but obviously there's the common denominator of AI-driven disinformation. Is there a common solution to that, whether that's labeling or some, you know, you mentioned well, laws that, and regulations? Well, that's, that's the, you know, I get a lot of agreement that, yeah, they both depend on on public trust. And the harm that could be done could be exponentially greater than the single action, you know, the intervening in a single election or the intervening in a single stock. Um, and I think people get the, from the sausage-making standpoint, having big enterprises to fight against the big tech company, you know, having, in a sense, the banks and the market makers could give you sway with the, the big tech companies. Um, and that's what we're, we're still trying to work through. What is the, what is the there there? What, you know, should the rule be? What should the penalty be? Um, and I think it will, it will get into questions around labeling. It will get into questions. Uh, it could get into questions around bias. Obviously when you, approach the First Amendment, that becomes more problematic uh, as well. Um, but labeling alone, and again, I, I think about you know Google's efforts to indicate they will do labeling. If we have if we have a private market only solution to labeling, you know what consumer is going to recognize which label unless there is some a common one. And also, I applaud the companies for their voluntary agreements going forward. But if you read the fine print, most of that is on a prospective basis, right? not on a retrospective basis of AI tools that they've already produced. Well, and even if you look at the the bold type print, voluntary alone, has there's some, there some questions around that. Um, connecting this back to China, because some of this misinformation, AI-generated misinformation, is already being created by China and, and floated around politics and, and other areas. Um, I guess to to what extent um, are your conversations right now around AI focused on national security? You know, is that getting enough attention? Because there's there's so many areas where AI is disruptive. Right. I think I'm still working on a series of proposals around national security and AI. I think, as chairman of the Intelligence Committee, and I'm proud of our committee being very bipartisan. I think I'll get a fair look from my colleagues when I lay out my ideas. It means I got to have my stuff together <laughs> before. <laughs> and as much as I'd like to, you know, float some today in this say, space, can you give us a I sense know, of I, what you're thinking? I am, I am not ready not- to do that because I got one chance to make the pitch. And, um, I, I, the good news is I've got a number of my, colleagues on both sides of the aisle who have said, hey, you know, let's work together on this. 
Okay. Well, I mean, there are other colleagues, obviously, who are pitching some ideas. I'm, I'm curious if you're finding yourself supporting, like, the idea of creating a new federal agency to deal with AI or a new licensing regime, you know, for AI, because these ideas are percolating, so are any oh, of them I, I, listen, resonating? There are a lot of the early conversations uh, about, uh, and again, on a bipartisan basis, that were about uh, the idea of creating a new federal agency where you can concentrate your AI expertise and then that would then deal with domain experts. So it would deal with the FAA or it would deal with the FCC or it would deal with you know, the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, from a real politic standpoint of where I sit, I don't see the current House of Representatives, any current environment where a Republican-driven House will ever create a new federal agency at this moment in time. That means that doesn't mean that you couldn't still then to place some of this in an existing agency or create, I think, in the post-Oppenheimer uh, summer or fall now, you know, the idea of a Manhattan Project kind of experts where we could bring together the world's best, that's where we obviously can't compete with pay with the private sector. Uh, when I look at those, you know, million dollar starting things that are that are being promoted on online in terms of AI experts. But I do think there's enough people that would serve because of the duty and the mission uh, if we could at least create that body of experts that would work with regulators and work with existing agencies. So uh, I'm not against the, the new agency concept. I just uh, seeing our record to date on social media and on notions of new governmental enterprises writ large, I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket. Let me ask you um, a follow-up question. I, I know you you said you're not ready to float your initial AI ideas yet, which you're welcome to reconsider that. Uh, well, I have floated, I have floated the, the, this is not national security, but I am floating the idea of let's at least start with some immediate guardrails around right. elections and markets. And that might, you know, if we could, I think it's so important, this is more on the politics side than the substance side, to at least show we can do something. Now, the problem would be if you do something and then the industry and others say, all right, you've done, you know, that's all that's going to happen. Right. I will take that risk because we've been so pathetic on social media. We got to show that we can actually put some markers down that have the force of law. And who are your um, allies on this, especially in the, among Republicans, but just you know, who, are, who are the folks who are, are seeing eye to eye? You know, this is a great podcast and you're a great you know, uh, technology reporter, but there'll be a time and place when I roll all those out. But uh, And I think I will tease a little bit in that it won't just be the regular suspects. Okay, so some new names. Well, you can come back on the podcast to uh, to talk to us about that. I do want to um, ask if I could. I, I know we're we're probably limited on time, um, but just the two sort of issues that are kind of related. One is export controls, and one is sort of um, exec you know oversight of uh, foreign bound investments. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, two very important broad issues, but I'll, I'll focus in on each here quickly. With export controls in recent years particularly around China and Russia, when it comes to restricting access to high technology, we've seen some of the limits of existing export control regimes. As we look ahead on AI, I mean, are you confident in kind of this tools we have in place or is more needed? No, I'm not confident. So, so, so what's needed? Well, I guess. well, let's let's let me begin. 
tell you why I, why I answer that way. You know, the CFIUS regime, which has been beefed up, and my friend John Cornyn has been a great leader in that. You know, some of the Section 301, the existing commerce uh, activities, have been helpful. But I do believe we need a new framework because our approach to foreign-based technology coming into our country has been whack-a-mole. I see this from the IC standpoint. You know, we 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 identified the Russian software company Kaspersky. It took us years to get it off the government acquisition list. We then, you know, and I'm I'm an old telecom guy, so we saw in 5G and beyond Huawei starting to run the field, and we didn't even have a competitor. And it literally took us years to convince other nation states. And frankly, we're still spending American taxpayer money to rip out Huawei equipment. In America, which, by the way, if you look at where they sold their equipment, it was almost 100% match with where our ICBMs were located in these small rural communities around the Midwest. So I thought I had this great idea of saying, well, let's give the Commerce Secretary additional tools to look at technology companies coming into the United States from six nations that we've identified as adversarial, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, Cuba, and Venezuela. And at first it looked like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so rational and well thought through and and we were lining up senators two by two like Noah's Ark coming on to this bill. Right. <laughs> we had 26, 13 Democrats, 13 Republicans, legal experts, and obviously the focus was around TikTok, but it was a it was a systemic approach to saying dealing with foreign technology where TikTok would have its day in court. <clears throat> but we thought the data collection and the ability to use has TikTok as a disinformation tool, 150 million Americans, 90 minutes a day, you know, young people, 18 to 24, it is their single biggest news recipient at this point. And it seemed like it was almost going to be too easy. $100 million from ByteDance and TikTok and lobbying, and suddenly we're getting attacked from the left and the right, and you couldn't see, including your publications, all being sponsored by TikTok and TV ads. And, you know, so if we can't create a new structured regime around foreign technology, when we're talking about technology from a nation state that, that at least in this country, and at least in the Congress right now, maybe there's almost too much China bashing, but there is a clear threat from the CCP. And let me be clear, my beef is with the CCP and Xi Jinping's authoritarian leadership. It is not with the Chinese people. It is not with some kind of, you know, green card on, on anti-Asian American or Chinese American bias. We had to be very careful about that. But the fact that we couldn't even put a marker down to try to deal with this foreign investment issue, again, makes me a little bit um, uh, thoughtful as I think about rules for AI. Because I, mean, I you, know, you got to have all your... Well, you stuff together. And the remarkable thing on the, just on the bill, we heard the criticisms and came up with, we thought they were not all valid, but about overreach or about, you know, that Americans uh, who somehow were on TikTok would, uh, would still be penalized. No, 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 no. We use the exact language that the Commerce Secretary already has in existing law. So if there was real intent to kind of get to a, you know, a solution set. And I think there's still some opportunity. The Commerce Secretary is, even if it's under a different name, looking at some of these same, um, uh, you know, the same notion that we need a, not a single company approach, but a structure. So is the uh, Restrict Act, as, as you sort of de dead? No, for no, now, I or? think it, I think there, I always, once, once, you know, and, and again, I don't, this is why I don't want to underestimate 
you know, the power of these tech companies, they have enormous reach and TikTok's got great creativity. I mean, I love the fact that people make money off of it. I love the, the, the social influencers. I just wish they would do it not on a platform that was, you know, ultimately, I believe, controlled by the CCP. It could be a Brazilian company, it could be a French company, it doesn't have to be an American company. And the remarkable thing on TikTok, there are a dozen nations that have banned TikTok for governmental use. And, you know, that, that not exactly right or uh, leaning um, you know, media company, the British Broadcasting Company, has basically told all its reporters, get themselves off TikTok because you're going to be manipulated or their data is going to be uh, used. So if we can't make a progress there, it does say we got to really have your all of your arguments together before you launch your next effort. Well, but I do think – and I do think there will be some variation of this. may not be called restrict, but there will be some variation that will – let me ask one closeout question because I, I assume our time is short here. But uh, there, there's sort of a recurring theme I'm hearing, and, and maybe you can challenge me if, uh, if my takeaway is not the right one here. It, it does seem like you're saying that Congress needs to in some ways be less ambitious when it comes to AI or some of these you know, concerns around China and tech even because the, the big swings are not getting across the finish line. So you know, take it down a few pegs and, and get something actually done. I think that's a fair assumption. I, I think about, again, I'm maybe jaded by my rope-a-dope with a lot of the big tech companies in terms – and I again, I think they're great companies for the most part. Um, but the fact that data portability and interoperability, two notions that – you know, I, I was a telecom guy and a wireless guy, um, started Nextel uh, – so I've got some technology background. The fact that we couldn't even get that through social media when everyone, all the companies acknowledge data portability and interoperability ought to be a standard. So I am a little bit, I've got some scars from these battles. Um, it doesn't take away the need to put guardrails. The biggest concern I have is if we um, allow the rest of the world to go out and set guardrails and we don't participate and we give up American leadership, particularly when the 22 individuals, civil society, and every one of the major AI players all raised their hand when we had that session and said, yes, we need government intervention in terms of guardrails. Right. If we fail that test, shame on us. Excellent. Well, Senator, we'll have to have you back to uh, share more of your AI ideas when they are, are ready to, uh, to be public. But thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. Thank you. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. See you back here tomorrow.